No one's gonna click on our video if you don't write a good title. What if the only reason that people weren't watching your videos was that you were choosing bad titles? The best titles create an emotional response that cause you to click. The three, I'm calling them click-worthy emotions, are curiosity, fear, and desire. And it's usually curiosity plus fear or curiosity plus desire. That's Jake Thomas. He's the writer of a popular newsletter called Creator Hooks, which is dedicated to helping you write better YouTube titles based in human psychology. What I love about Jake's approach is that he's very data-driven. I've got a database of 408 titles right now. 61% of them have curiosity, 46 have desire, 40% have fear or negativity. So in this episode, you'll learn how to research your own titles, how to leverage human psychology to get more views, some of the most successful frameworks Jake has found, and why curiosity is the most impactful emotion that you can tap into. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. Tag me, let me know that you're listening. But now. Let's talk with Jake. A lot of people when they're, you know, just starting, they're trying to do some research, look at other channels that are kind of like them. But I feel like a lot of people are also sucked into the trap of saying, I'm just going to model off of the biggest names in the business. I'm going to go and see what Mr. Beast is doing. I'm going to go see what Emma Chamberlain is doing. I'm going to go just like see what these people are doing really well and model after that because if it's working for them, it seems like it should work for me. Is that the right way to think about it? And if not, how should I be doing research across different channels for my titles? I don't think it's the the right way to do it. So if I got Emma Chamberlain's titles up right now, cooking, Ugg season, my childhood bedroom, it will be okay. So like she has a title that's literally just cooking and that's all it is. And unless you are Emma Chamberlain, that is not going to work for you. <laughs> unless you have, let's see, 11.8 million subscribers, it will not work because it's just just a, like a plain statement. There's no emotion there. So no, I think that you should uh, model people a couple steps ahead of you. You know, like if you're just getting started, maybe you want to model people in the, you know, 50,000 or, you know, 5,000, 50,000, 500,000, someone who's not like a just total celebrity and just has like, you know, so much influence outside of YouTube that no matter what, like they're going to be successful. So definitely don't look at the people way high up, try to find people a couple steps ahead of you, see what they're doing. And I think that's like just definitely the best thing that you can do, especially getting started. If you don't know anything, like even like, you know, how do I write my intros? How do I do my lighting? How long should my video be? When you're getting started, all the answers are there, but just looking at what is working for your competitors. And then, you know, as you kind of do that, you'll slowly get like kind of your own feel and your own vibe. But definitely the best way to do it is to kind of copy first. Like people do like copy work, like, you know, you handwrite old sales letters to learn how to become a good copywriter. People have been recommending that for, like, I don't know, 70 years or something like that. And it's been working for them. Don't try to be like super original. Don't try to model Emma Chamberlain. No offense to her, but uh, it's probably not going to work for you. Try to find people a couple steps ahead of you and do what they're doing. I think that's good advice for creators of any kind, actually, because it's it's really easy to go and and look after these bigger channels or creators or platforms in general and think, well, if they're doing it, it must work. But there have been some times in my life where I've looked at uh, landing pages, home pages, sales pages of big websites and said, 
ooh, this must be what works, and then copied that. And then within like days or weeks, they change it because it probably wasn't performing. (laughs) So (laughs) like not only should you look at people who are closer to you, but maybe you should even reach out to people and ask. If there's not like clear public data, you should reach out and say, hey, I'm just curious how this is going for you. Maybe not the first question in their Twitter DMs, but, you know, get get to it because I think that's really smart advice. Sometimes people are succeeding in spite of not doing things the most effective way. Yeah, definitely. But also, like, if you're just getting started, like, just just do it. Like, don't let analysis paralysis, you know, kind of stop you from taking action. Like, all right, cool. Like when I first launched my um, my newsletter, I had like a really, really ugly newsletter title or sorry, newsletter, um, like landing page. It was terrible. Like my conversion rate was bad, but I got started and then I kind of asked around and I started looking at others and I eventually figured it out. But uh, just like copying like the first landing page that I saw, like worked for me to get up and uh, just get moving and another thing that uh, someone told me this a couple of weeks ago and he was like, you can't steer a parked car. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, mm. yeah, yes. when you're, when you're just getting started, like just move yes. and then figure it out. Yes. How did you get to YouTube titles of all things? I've been in like marketing in general for like 10 years or so. I was, a I I worked at a Facebook ad agency and it was, it was terrible. And our, my favorite client, they were like, Hey, we're hiring a writer. So I was able to like jump on board with them nice. and I hadn't had, I didn't have any YouTube experience, but he's like, Hey, you're going to be our editor in chief, our media buyer and our YouTube channel manager. And I was like, Oh, this is great. Like <laughs> no, no YouTube experience. And my boss was like a really, really good copywriter. And he beat into my head, the importance of writing titles. He's like, because we were a fishing channel and we had like spent a lot of money to send our fishing coaches out, uh, you know, like kayaking or out on the boat, spending all day, like making content. So we would, we spent a lot of money on our content and he's like, if you don't write a good title, then we wasted all of this money, you know, filming, creating, uh, you know, fishing, catching all these fish. And also, uh, if you don't write a good title, then we're not going to get any of the benefits. Like no one's going to click on our video if you don't write a good title. So like the pressure was on. That sounds like a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And the the only problem was he was great and like my favorite boss by far, but he wasn't like a, he didn't know how to teach me how to write good YouTube titles. So I was kind of on my own. Uh, I almost got fired because I was so bad at first. Oh no. And like, I actually talked to him about it like a couple years after and I was like, yeah, like when I got started, it wasn't the best. He's like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. We weren't sure if we were going to keep you. <laughs> You're telling me uh, it wasn't the best. <laughs> yeah. But, but somehow I, I kind of figured it out. And the thing that like, the thing that made it click for me was we were a fishing channel and my boss went on a podcast of a hunting channel and they did a podcast that was uh, hunt new newbie hunting gear. And the guy said like that newbie hunting gear podcast crushed it for them. So my boss came back. He's like, Hey, we're going to do a podcast about newbie fishing gear. So I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's do it. turns out that was our best podcast, like for the month, like for the past few months, that's when it kind of clicked. It was like, okay, I don't need to be original. I need to just like find something that works and then model that. And it's not like copying, right? Like, you know, there was newbie hunting gear, we're newbie fishing gear. Like we're just following that same model. And then once I realized that I got on a roll and like, I finally understood that, okay, like it's not all up to me to be like totally original and write these great titles. And then we finally like turn it around. I didn't get fired. Our channel like three X, our revenue four X. So everything was, everything was good after that. And then once like kind of figured out, all right, cool. Like this is how you write a good YouTube title, like from a beginner 
then I slowly figured it out and I was like, oh, cool. Like here are the patterns that all of these successful YouTube titles have. Now we can kind of get out of that box of like just modeling to like actually coming up with original content. How did you go about finding these templates of breakout sort of successes? Because it seems like YouTube has just an endless amount of content. So how did you boil that ocean and start to wayfind to specific title structures that worked for you? Just spending a lot of time studying YouTube titles, you know, going to a bunch of different channels and YouTube makes it super easy because you can see the publish date, you can see how many views they have. And just like just spending hours every single week for over a year, you know, almost two years now, just like scanning, like, okay, like, you know, this video was published, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but it has like a hundred thousand views. All of the other videos published around it have like 10,000 views. Okay. There's something here. And then you take note of that and you do that, you know, a thousand times, a couple hundred times, and boom, you start to see, you start to see patterns. So it's really just putting in time and studying and taking really deliberate notes. How much were you looking at the same industry and channels in that same industry versus something that might be like a little bit orthogonal to it? Like it's kind of touching that industry versus something that's completely out of that industry, but doing well. Really just like trying to get a, a broad spectrum of industries. Like the craziest thing is when I see today, I was looking at, it was like a, like a hair channel and one of their best videos like I was like, oh, I've seen like this exact model work on like all sorts of other different channels. Yeah. So just really just trying to get a really broad spectrum of titles and then, you know, putting all those notes together and like seeing the patterns. And it's like, oh, it really doesn't matter like what industry this is in, like, you know, regrets always work well or something like that. When you're doing this, are you putting this into a spreadsheet? Is it structured? Is it just gut feel? And if it is structured, how does that look? It is a little structured. It's just in Google Sheets. So I've just got like the title, the publish date, and like the the URL. And it just started as that. And then as I started to recognize patterns, it's like, okay, like, let me know what this one had fear. Okay. And like, then I would go through all the other, you know, hundred titles that I had before. All right, this one had fear, this one had fear, this one had fear. Cool. Okay. Like, you know, 30% of these titles have fear. And then I would start to notice like new patterns. So it was just, it was really, it's really simple. Uh, just in Google Sheets, I mean, there's it's nothing fancy. Just as I, you know, as I kept learning new things, like, all right, let me jot it down. Let me see if I can organize this a little better. And just so people are on the same page, you're not talking about the literal word fear. You're talking about the emotional pull of fear, correct? Yes, correct. Okay, talk more about that because I, I've heard you talk about some of these emotions that you think underlie a good title. Is it fair to say that emotions are what make a good title? Yeah. So a couple, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at this guy's channel and he was struggling with his YouTube channel. And he's like, Hey man, like I'm putting in all the work. I'm like, you know, my, uh, my thumbnails are getting better. My storytelling, my editing is getting better. Like what, why am I not growing? And I looked at his titles and they were all bland statements. Like there was no, no emotion. And the three I'm calling them click worthy emotions are curiosity, fear, and desire. And it's usually curiosity plus fear or curiosity plus desire. And that's like the simplest way to explain what makes a good title is just curiosity, fear, and desire. You know, and there's a bunch of different nuances, you know, below that, but that's like the, just the high level version of what makes a good title. I like that you're focusing on kind of emotional terms and ideas as opposed to strictly like templated language. Cause I'm sure there are trends within language that work pretty well, but I would imagine they, they probably get stale also. 
So when you're looking at curiosity, fear, and desire and saying, I want to tie curiosity to fear or curiosity to desire, how often are you seeing trends like go in and out? So far, I haven't, and it's been a couple of years, so I haven't seen any like big trends go in and out yet. Like the main trend that I, that comes to mind is like a, like a 20, like 14 Buzzfeed article, like 36 new podcast mics. You'll never guess number 17 or something like that. Doctors hate this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, but it's still using like, there's curiosity. There's like a little bit of fear there. You know, it's a list and that those things still work well. It's just like how you apply them. People kind of caught on and now it's like, all right, that's, too clickbaity for me. But I mean, it's the still the same principles were working back then and they're still working now. And I've read a lot of like, you know, copywriting books from like the 30s, uh, 1930s, 1950s, 60s. And they're all just saying the same thing. Like it's it's all psychology that gets people's attention and gets people to click. Do you have any examples of titles that are pulling on curiosity and fear or curiosity and desire that people can kind of start to map this in their mind to what this looks like? Just kind of to get like super nerdy here, um, I've got a database of 408 titles right now, and 61% of them have curiosity, 46 have desire, and 40% have fear or negativity. So a couple of examples here. Seven things plant experts do that you probably don't. That kind of opens up a loop there. It's like, Oh, like in that you know, opening a loop is a great way to build curiosity. You're starting a story, but not finishing it. When you read that title, like, oh, what are these plant experts doing that I'm not? So yeah, like there's a, a lot of curiosity. Thing. Yes, yes. It's there's FOMO there, you know, which is like, you know, fear of missing out. So there's fear. There's also curiosity. Like, what are these things that these plant experts are doing? What about desire? Give me a, a desire example. How a pro YouTuber actually makes thumbnails. Like just the word actually is like really simple. You kind of feel like you're getting in on a secret there. Like how they actually do that. It's like, okay, like I thought that I knew how they make titles or how they make thumbnails, but like, here's how they really do it. Here's how they actually do it. Kind of feels like they're, you know, like kind of giving you insider information or, you know, you know, pulling back the curtain there. So you feel like you're getting in on a secret. So that's one way to build curiosity, but you're also speaking to a desire. So, you know, if you want to make better thumbnails, it's like, oh, here's how the pros do it. So there's authority there as well. So you have desire, you have curiosity by revealing a secret. Um, and then you also are, you're talking about authority. So like that has like some instant trust and credibility, credibility there because this is how the pros do it. When you are writing titles for yourself or for other people, knowing what you know, what is your starting point for making a title? It starts with the idea it's like putting lipstick on a pig. Like like if you have a bad idea, it doesn't matter how clever you are at like wordsmithing good titles or, or how, you know, good of a graphic designer or good of a thumbnail maker are. If you have a bad idea, then you're just wasting your time. So it always starts with the idea. And that's, that's the most important thing. And then just coming from there, it's like, you know, what angle do we want to um, kind of attack this topic? And that kind of depends on what have we done before? And like a lot of people say the secret to like creating content is just saying the same thing a hundred different ways. Cause there are like, there are some ideas or some topics that just work well, no matter what. So you just got to kind of, you know, ride that wave while you can. But the secret is like just saying that a bunch of different ways. So for an example, like let's say we're a finance channel talking about like picking stocks. So you could say like how to pick stocks as a beginner, right? So, you know, talk to beginners and like calling out beginners is a great way to get people to click because you're calling out a specific audience. Not only is that audience like 
like very specific. Like if you're a beginner, like if you see like kind of your name right there in the title, it's like, oh shoot, this, this video is for me. But also they're like the hungriest, right? You know, cause they're beginners. They want to learn and they're the most insecure. So uh, right now I'm learning how to play the piano. I'm learning on YouTube and I went through a, through a YouTube um, channel teaching piano and I was watching like all their videos on how to play the piano. After like two hours, I'm laying in bed and I'm like, wait, what did I just do? And I watched all of the videos that had the word beginner in them. Mm. And that was because I was like insecure about my piano playing mm. skills, like rightfully so, because I was a beginner. And I felt that all the other videos were, they were too advanced for me. Like, oh, you know, this song or this exercise is too advanced. Like, give me something for me. Give me something specifically for beginners. So I was insecure. Like I felt that like, like this video is just for me. So that that's a you know one great uh, way to get people to click is to just call out beginners right there in your title. So if you're you know making your stocks video, how to pick stocks for beginners, you could talk about like you know the best uh, the best stocks in uh, you know November 2022. Timeliness is another good one. Um, you could talk about like regrets. Like I regret picking these stocks last year. People love regrets. Ah. Those are just like a couple different ways of saying the same thing over and over again. And I'm calling them click triggers. There's like 31 and we've already talked about a lot of them, like, you know, revealing a secret, opening a loop, regrets. Um, it's just like fear, desire, all that stuff. And those are just like kind of moves that like moves that you can make or like pitches that you have, like in your arsenal, like, you know, how am I going to, if you're a pitcher, you know, you're looking at Aaron judge and you're like, how am I going to get him out? First off to Aaron judge, it's not going to happen, but, uh, <laughs> but you're like, all right, you know, what am I going to throw him? Like, you know, the sinker, the slider, the fastball change up, you know, and that's how I kind of look at these click triggers It's like, all right, what's the best way uh, to get people to click and get people excited about this topic. Duh, we had to use visual B-roll there so that people watching <laughs> this know like sports, Aaron Judge, pitcher, what what does mean? Uh, I'm also like thinking to myself, we've got to find some way to get video of Jake playing piano now. Uh, well, <laughs> I, lo- right I love there. this. <laughs> After a quick break, Jake and I get even more in the weeds of how he researches and chooses titles. And later we dive into some of the theories that Jake has that he's still collecting data about. So stick around. We'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. 
If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash J. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash J and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. Welcome back to my conversation with Jake Thomas. Before the break, Jake and I were talking about his research process. And something I shared with Jake is that one of my favorite ways to do my own research is to pay close attention to the things that drive me to take action. If I click something, why did I click that? If I buy something, why did I buy that? I have a, I actually have like a, an Evernote document from like 20, like 16 or 2015 or something. And that was like my first like uh, obsession with titles and like what gets people to click because I was, that was like when I was really like learning everything. I didn't know anything. I was just kind of starting to try to make it online. Then I was like, oh wow, like I'm, you know, I'm this, this article really caught my eye. So I put it in the document and I was like, oh, this one caught my eye too. I put it in the document and I noticed after like the first five, they were all fear-based. I was like, all right, is this just, is this just me? Like what, what is going on here? Fear is working very well on me. I hate that about our psychology. It's such a bummer, but it's true. But like the idea of titling all of my videos to like prey on people's fears and insecurities is just like so antithetical to what I want to do. But like, I get it. I get that it works. We have this little bit of tension with with our channel where we know like, hey, you know what? YouTube audiences, they love to talk about money. They love to hear about money. They love to look at money. That historically has never been what the show is about, but like I get it. So we, we play the game a little bit, but I'm, I'm constantly fighting against like what, how much am I YouTubifying this show and going too far? <laughs> yeah. Are you like, are you just going to try to find a balance there? Are you going to like stick to your guns and like, just know that it's a, it's a really good question because I, and I'd love to hear your take on this. I feel like we're already playing the game on hard mode a little bit because long form interviews, not the typical content that does well on YouTube. Now, it seems like there might be some tailwinds there where YouTube is saying like, we actually want to encourage this type of content and behavior. I feel like we're entering an already hard game and playing it from like the hardest perspective. And titling comes up sometimes because it feels like we should lean into the name recognition of the guest in the title because that's probably our best angle. And then Connor does a really good job of 
finding some of these these uh, trends that you've talked about, like we've used the secret a couple of times in the title, but it's hard because that video, the payoff to that video is one part of the interview and there's all kinds of stuff that goes into the interview. So if it was just me and I wasn't trying to play any type of game, it would just be like episode whatever, Jake Thomas, and that would be it. But I don't think that would work so well. What do you think? I agree. I mean, there's that that balance and like I'm doing it a lot. So I have a, a dog YouTube channel. Uh, I got a dog email list and dog blog. And then also I'm on Twitter and then I do some other stuff for clients. And But on Twitter, like one of my best uh, threads are like 99% of people suck at writing YouTube titles. And it's just like, just totally bashing fear, like all negativity there. It's like every time I do that, like those types of titles just work well. And I don't know. I go, I go back and forth one way to, I'm just going to kind of deflect this question. One no. way. <laughs> that is not what you do. <laughs> one, one way to, uh, to like make, like turn that, uh, ickiness dial down is to say like, you will regret, uh, you know, not titling your YouTube, your YouTube videos like this, mm. right? That's like, you're, you're turning that way up. Like that just feels icky. Like you will regret. It doesn't feel good. But if you say, I regret titling my YouTube video like this. Oh, it's an experience thing. It's not like yes. an attack. It's like, yeah, this is yeah, my yeah. experience. Yes. Yeah. Sharing your story, you know, my biggest mistake I regret. So like, if you want to use like the, the, like the really effective emotion of fear, but you want to turn the ickiness dial down, share your own story or like he did this, not like just taking out the word you, you know, that's the probably the best way to do it. But for me, it kind of depends on like, how is my business going? Like if I'm growing, it's like, all right, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit less aggressive right now. Like I don't really, I don't need this thread to do super well. Like I just want to kind of serve my audience. If I'm like, dang, the newsletter is not really growing right now. I really need to step up growth. Then I'll be like, okay, let me, let me play this game. Not on hard mode. Let me, let me do what I know works, even though I may feel not the best about it, but still, you know, still not like just being like totally fear mongery and clickbaity. I mean, I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's how I think about it a little bit. When you have like competing ideas for a title, let's say that the idea itself is good. You feel good about it. And you're looking at different types of titles that all are playing on curiosity and fear or curiosity and desire. How do you end up making a decision which one to go with? One thing that I'll do is I will like just search my title and try to see has this, uh, has this done well in the past? So like we, let's say that you're in kind of an obscure niche. Like, let's say you were doing, you know, like steam mops. Uh, I don't know if steam mops are popular. Maybe, maybe they are. So if you were like, uh, you know, my biggest regret, uh, you know, buying my first steam mop, or if you wanted to say like, I'm like, all right, cool. I could do that. Or I could say like, you know, five mistakes to buying your steam mop. You could write that same title, but like with vacuums or something like a little bit broader. And you, cause I'm just looking for that trend. Like has this, has this trend for something similar in this, you know, similar to this, has it worked before? Like YouTube will tell you, YouTube is great. Like, like I said, they have the view date and the, or the published date and the view counts. So they'll let you know, yes, this has worked or no, this has not worked. Let's say that I wanted to lean into this strategy and as an interviewer who's already pegged the guest name as important for the title, which would you agree? Should I be using that as one of the most important parts of the title? It depends for me. Uh, no, like I'm, I don't think my name, I don't, I'm not like a heavy hitter, but if you're interviewing Gary V, absolutely. You know, if you were titling this interview, you might do something like, you know, the best way to write YouTube titles or five YouTube title mistakes, everybody you're probably making or something like that. 
something a little bit spicier than that. My name isn't car- doesn't carry a ton of weight. So I would either give my, I'd either like skip it or you could say like, you know, uh, the biggest YouTube title nerd or something. Give me a label. I don't think it would be like the best thing to do. Yes, you could. And uh, one, of the, one of these days, maybe my name will carry weight, but, um, but I would give myself a label or, uh, you know, just, you know, talk about a benefit or something or a mistake or fear or something like that. If I were to lean into Justin Welsh, let's say he has a growing profile, more people are searching for his name. If before we release our episode, we search Justin Welsh and we look at the first five videos that are listed there, how closely should we model the actual titles of videos that are doing well versus use that to say, let's do something completely different? It depends. So probably like with with Justin, like he's blowing up, but also he's like not that big. Like, you know, this isn't like a this isn't a super big right, space. Right. So if you model it really closely, that's kind of that's teetering on the the um, the OK, this is like kind of sort of copying, uh, but not really. So, you know, in the case of like because like this is a small, smaller industry, I don't know, you, you might want to figure out what are the elements like that are making people click like the creative elements. Ooh. What are, yes, what are these creative title elements that are making people click? Like, do, do all of them have like, you know, $2 million in them or do all of them have, you know, solopreneur in them or, you know, other things that you might include. And it's like, okay, I definitely need to include the number, like, you know, how this solopreneur made, you know, however many millions of dollars, like that's it. Like it's a great hook and I'm, I'm going to do it. But if they're all different, then it's like, okay, cool. Like this is, this is kind of a free for all. Uh, there's no real themes here. I'm just going to, you know, pick, you know, the most interesting thing about the video or the most interesting thing about Justin and go for it. How do you think about brevity? Because as you're listing off some of these, they they seem pretty concise and I could easily reason my way into saying, well, let me just add like three tags because we talk about three different categories in this podcast. So what if I just say, here are the five mistakes people make, here are the 10 best YouTube titles. And also here is why you need to be thinking about curiosity, desire, and fear and put that all into a title. Yeah, I think there's a, I'm going to spit like some cliche things at you. Like if you confuse, you lose. If there's like so many different, uh, like it's kind of like keyword stuffing almost, but like not really keyword stuffing, just a bunch of different things. If you confuse, you lose. So if your keyword is like really long, then, you know, it's just not easy to instantly understand. Also, uh, no focus, no audience. So, you know, the more, commas and the more ands you put in your title, like the longer it is, it's just not going to have a focus. It's not going to have like as much power to like, you know, it's not really going to pack a punch and people are like, Oh, I really, I really want to watch this. I'm doing a bunch of uh, AB tests on whether or not the word and, or like having multiple subjects affects a, uh, affects a title. So I will have some more data for you there, but I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm trying not to use the word and I'm trying to be brief. I'm trying to focus on just one thing, just like the single most powerful thing. You know, this is YouTube and people are scrolling and you know, you want someone to like instantly latch on to that one thing. If there are three different subjects there, then it's going to take people a long time to read it a lot, a lot longer of a time to read it than if it was just one subject, it's going to take people longer to understand it. And like, that's too much work for their brain if they're just scrolling. So the likelihood uh, is greater that they're just going to, um, that they're just going to just kind of scroll on by. Here's some data for you. So my email subject lines. So I run the Creator Hooks newsletter and it used to be Creator Hooks. And then I would list out three things like, you know, biggest YouTube fears, YouTube mistakes, and hitting a million subscribers. 
So it was always that creator hooks, colon, three things. And then I switched to only having like only kind of modeling one of the titles from creator hooks. It was a little shorter. It was more concise. It was one idea. And my email open rate, open rate went from about 35% to about 50%. Oh, wow. So it was like 35 to 40. And now it's like 45 to 55. So having, you know, just one thing has helped. I love this data. This is so good. One thing that you haven't mentioned is thumbnails or description. So I guess that's two things. And I think we both agree that having a good con good idea with good content is prerequisite. Let's say that that like, that's what you should focus on is having a good idea, have good content because none of this probably matters. If not, how do you weigh titles versus thumbnails? Do descriptions matter at all? We are getting a little bit out of my expertise. I'm mostly just nerding out on uh, titles. As far as descriptions go, I don't think they matter that much. I mean, YouTube is smart and they have a lot of things that they're looking at, you know, tags and descriptions, I think are less important than YouTube, like actually seeing what is in the video because uh, they do that and like, all right, this is what the video is about. Like it doesn't, maybe it doesn't matter as much as like the, the description. So they know what the video is about. Thumbnails, this is my personal opinion, but I think that thumbnails are more important in entertainment and titles are more important in education. Mm. Um, I, th I think because you can show a story much better in entertainment. So yeah, you need to have a killer thumbnail. In education, it's not as, it's not as important. I think it's, it's still obviously very important, but I think that you need to have a great idea and convey that idea mostly in the title. I think the, the title is kind of the best way to plainly convey that idea. Spicy takes. I like this. I like the spicy takes. When you are playing around titles and I know you test titles, you do AB testing on these things. How frequently do you do that? Like when is too early to say, eh, this isn't performing the way I thought time for me to go back to the drawing board and try another title. So I usually wait, I wait it out because I am fairly confident in my titles for the most part. I also, I've seen like some of my videos have blown up like after like a day and a half, like just kind of randomly, like, you know, here's my graph and then all of a sudden, pew, I'm like, oh, I didn't do anything. And then all of a sudden it like kind of usually drops off too. But I didn't, I didn't make any changes to make it blow up. I didn't make any changes to make it slow down. But what I always do with my AB testing is I wait five days because if you test too early, YouTube is, you know, showing your video to your subscribers. So people are way more likely to click on the first day and then it kind of goes down. And with AB testing, I use uh, TubeBuddy or thumbnailtest.com. Um, those are two different tools. I think the, the only way to AB test right now is switching the title or, 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 the, or the thumbnail every 24 hours. Knowing that it switches every 24 hours, if you launch your test on the first day, your first day is almost always going to be the highest CTR because the YouTube is going to show it to like your most loyal followers. And the people who are clicking on the first day are usually your most loyal followers. So just kind of like by default, you're way more likely to have a higher CTA on day one than day two. So that's just kind of get, going to give you bad data right there. So I wait at least five days for things to kind of like settle down and it's like, all right, cool. Now I'm going to test this. And I know that this is going to give me the most accurate data because that kind of wild, crazy, almost like inflated data in the first couple of days is gone. So I wait a couple of days. I test it out. I know a lot of people test it out like you know, within an hour or two hours. And really? yeah, yeah. And 
I don't know how I feel about that. I usually don't do that. I mean, if it's, if your video is like really flopping, like, yeah, maybe, maybe go with your plan B. I just like to get real data. I, I love studying the AB test data and it's not perfect, but if you use it as like a compass to say, okay, these trends work for me. These trends don't work for me. Like not that, okay, this was 10.2% higher. Like, you know, this is, this is the one it's more like, okay, cool. Like in 10 different tests, like this theme is working way more than this theme. Like I'm going to use this theme more going forward. So yeah, so just wait it out. Um, or sorry, that's what I do. I wait it out. Um, I know a lot of people don't do that. And then I try to get real data and I try to just kind of learn from that. I haven't used TubeBuddy or any of these tools. Paint me a visual picture of what that looks like to use a tool like that to test these things. With uh, TubeBuddy, um, you can upload, you know, one alternate, you know, so you're A-B testing. You can't A-B-C-D test. So then you'll upload, you know, a thumbnail or, or a title. You can do both. I would definitely recommend uh, only doing you know, one at a time unless you were testing like a whole new idea. Then you might want to have a new set of you know, title and thumbnail. It's, it's like super simple. You just upload it, uh, you know, click like run test. And then you'll set like how many days you want to test. I usually test for seven days per title. So on TubeBuddy, if you're only testing, you know, another alternate, then it'll be 14 days. Come back 14 days later and then you can see the results. Like it'll show you the click through rate. Um, it'll show you the impressions, you know, clicks for impression. Also show you the watch time. It'll help you know, like, you know, sometimes you might have a much higher click-through rate, but maybe your average view duration went down. And it's like, okay, maybe this video was clickbait or this title was like too clickbaity. Like people just clicked it and went away right away. What I've often seen, and maybe like this is just me like reading bad data and making like just making assumptions there. I've often seen a higher click-through rate correlate with um, a higher watch time. I think mm -hmm. that's because people are just, if you write a more interesting title, people are more excited to... Uh, watch it. So like, yeah, more people are clicking on it because they're more excited to watch it. So they're going to give it a longer shot than like maybe people, like, people were kind of doubting it. Like, eh, I'll click it. And like, you know, they're just going into it. Like, I probably don't want to watch this video. And you're just going to like confirm their beliefs right away when you don't have like some crazy insane intro. So when you're making an A-B test in TubeBuddy, they aren't able to do that in real time across titles, are they? Can they serve like different audiences, different titles and give you a real time test across? Okay, so it's like a global change for a period of time. Yes, yes. I uh, I don't love that. They they change it every 24 hours and then they look at the data for that time period and they kind of aggregate that data. So yeah, I don't, Love it. It's not perfect. And that's why I say use it as a compass to say, okay, like this is a trend, not like, all right, this is like, th this is the law. When we come back, Jake and I talk about chapter titles in YouTube and some of the theories that he's still testing. So stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. You may have noticed that in our videos, we have chapter markers all throughout the video. And the reason we do that is I've seen those chapter markers get pulled into Google search results. So I asked Jake how he thinks about chapter markers and if he makes good use of them. I don't use them for my, uh, for my dog channel. And maybe this is me like, like trying to be like old school, maybe too direct marketer, but like, I want people to watch the whole video. I don't want them to like skip like right to, all right, let me just skip to this like single chapter, only watch like what I want. Like I'm, I kind of want to 
suck them in and, and may, maybe this is like a maybe this is a bad you will watch this whole video <laughs> yes that that is what i'm thinking and uh maybe that's like not the best like user experience maybe that's just me being greedy i don't know but uh that is how i'm going about it right now if someone has like some good data to change why uh to change my attitude on that i will happily uh listen but as of now i am not doing chapters and, and I've seen mixed review. I've seen people who are much smarter than me tell you what I just told you. I've also seen people who are much smarter than me actually use them on their channel. So I don't think that anybody has like a, a, a good solid answer for that. How do you curate an, uh, an issue of creator hooks? How do you decide what goes in it that week? What you talk about? I imagine you are probably looking at far more videos than make it in in a typical week. Everything is based on a hook score. And what that is, is how how many views a video got above their average for the channel, kind of like recent average. So I'll look at, you know, if a video got a million views, I'll look at the 10 videos, like, or the five videos before and after. So kind of 10 videos and I'll calculate that average and I'll be like, okay, cool. Like this, you know, channel averages about a uh, hundred thousand views a video, but boom, this one had a million views. So there's something about this video that people can learn from. So the problem uh, with that approach is that some channels just put out banger after banger and like <laughs> there's like there's no deviation from the average. So that is that is one problem with that. So that do, can like take me a while where I'll just go through 10 channels and every video is a banger. And it's like, oh, well, I can't use any of these in the newsletter because like, you know, there's nothing telling me that this did better than the other. Uh, so wow. I have a list of like 300 channels that I I'll scroll through those 300 channels. I've had a lot of people in travel recently sign up for my newsletter. So I'm trying to just find like uh, outliers, outlier videos in the travel industry. I will go and I'll poke around. I'll find like one channel that like does travel videos. Like I'll watch one of their videos and I'll see what's recommended. And like, you know, are there any other channels or other kind of outliers that were recommended? I'll do that process for like, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. And then I'll go to my homepage and it's all outlier videos mm. of travel videos. So just kind of doing that process and just playing around, trying to find like just one video that blew up and outperformed the other videos on that channel. So yeah, so the list and just just playing around on YouTube for hours and like two, three, four hours on a Thursday or Friday afternoon and try to get YouTube to suggest outlier videos to me. And then eventually I'll get five and I'll put those in the, in the newsletter. How often do you use the curiosity plus desire or fear framework for the subject lines of your emails? The whole like kind of idea behind creator hooks is that you can use like kind of the same hooks, no matter like kind of what industry you're in. I just model one of the t videos that were in the newsletter. So last week's, this new approach to YouTube will change your channel forever. That was based on this video of this new approach to photography will change your channel forever. You know, for my email subject line, I modeled a photography YouTube video title. So in a sense, it is a little bit you know, quick baby because it's not, I'm not delivering on the title, but I'm more of like kind of being an example of saying, Hey, here is how I would use this hook and I'm going to use it in an email subject line. And it's still going to get people to click and be happy. They clicked. Um, I've had like three people say, Oh, like you didn't deliver on, you know, or you didn't say what you said in the, in the email subject line. And I've explained it to them and everyone has kind of, it's kind of understood, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just modeling YouTube video titles from a variety of industries 
for my YouTube uh, email newsletter. And that has worked well for like 52% open rate. I might try this model more closely aligned with what I am writing in the newsletter, but like the curiosity, desire, curiosity, fear model for subject lines. The problem is I try to stay within like six to eight words in a subject line so that it doesn't get truncated on a mobile phone. And I feel like it would be hard to do that with this model. Like you'd have to be real concise because you're going to have to start with some sort of emotional language, like how to or something where you, you aren't even talking about what's in the newsletter yet. Yeah, that is one of the most frustrating things is like, especially on YouTube, just making sure uh, you're kind of within those character limits. A couple like reasons why that's important is like one, like if it's too long, you know, if people are skimming, they're not going to see it. And two, it also might get truncated. You know, it's the same thing with email subject lines. Like it depends where people are opening your email. It depends where people are watching your YouTube videos. If you write a really long title, it's going to get truncated. So that's that's definitely like one of the hardest things about writing titles is how can you pack as much like emotion and information while being like clear uh, in, you know, less than 55 characters or whatever. What we haven't talked about at all is SEO, search engine optimization, YouTube as a search engine. How much do you think about that when it relates as it relates to titles? Because it seems like an opportunity that I've heard some people speak to, but it doesn't sound from what we've shared so far like that's a big strategy on on your list. Real quick, can I tell you a story going back to email subject lines? I love story time. All right. So I have a blog. It's about golden retrievers. And when I started to started creator hooks, I was in the middle of a series on my blog and it was like, eight-month-old golden retrievers, chewing, biting, you know, potty training. Then I did three-month-old golden retrievers, four-month-old golden retrievers, five-month-old golden retrievers. And three- and four-month-old golden retrievers, the email, like the click-through rate, my click-through rate is like, I don't know, 8% or so, between like 6 and 10%. When I was doing kind of the boring subject lines, uh, it was just like three-month-old golden retrievers, you know, keyword stuffing. My click-through rate was like 4% on those. And... I was like, dang, this stinks. Like, what if I did the uh, pr- the creator hooks approach to this? So for five-month-old golden retrievers, which is like not as like sexy as like two-month-old golden retrievers, like because it's super new. Like if you have a five-month-old golden retriever, now you're kind of settled in. So I did why teenage golden retrievers were the worst. And that doubled my click-through rate. It went uh, from like uh-huh. 4% to like, like 8.5 or like 9%. And that was, that was using negativity there. It was like, you know, using fear, like, and it was also using a label. Like we talked about labels earlier, instead of five month old golden retrievers, it was teenage golden retrievers. So it was a little bit broader, but also like still very descriptive. And then I used negativity just talking about why they're the worst. Ted so is was, 10 months old right now. And he is definitely the worst right now. <laughs> I love hey, Ted. He's a teenager. kind of a jerk. <laughs> Uh, It'll get better. better. So, so you're saying write for the human, don't write for the robot. Um, Mm -hmm. I I like that advice, although it does seem like, man, there's got to be some marriage of the two because I feel like, I mean, the magic that I see on this channel is when YouTube is like, hey, we put this on the home feed, we put this in the browse features, but it seems like a lot of the back catalog success right now, like Justin Welsh, that's succeeding on the strength of his name being searched, and so I feel like there's some marriage here that I'm trying to find. And it also depends on kind of where we're trying to, like where we're trying to get our content shown. So in the email subject line, it's all like attention, like kind of interruption marketing, right? So in that case, why teenage gold retrievers uh, are the worst, like worked a lot better than kind of a, another, you know, kind of like a boring one. But when I published the blog post, my subject line was five month old golden retrievers, 
keyword stuffing, right? So it does depend on, you know, where you're trying to get people. Like if you're trying to rank in search, it might be a little bit different than if you're trying to get views from like browse or like the homepage or like recommended and stuff. So like going back to SEO, one of the things that you could do is have like kind of the main subject up front and then have like one of the click triggers, like something that's going to get people to click at the end. You might, if we're talking about uh, Justin Welsh, you know how Justin Welsh, so you have his name, the keyword right in front, you know, made 10, uh, you know, made a million dollars in 2022 as a solopreneur or something. Towards the end, like you have timeliness. So like in 2022, you have like, you know, made a million dollars, like a huge desire. So just following up things, uh, following up your main subject at the end is one of a one of the better ways that I've seen people rank on search. So you can use like a big desire. So like you know, made a made million dollars. You could use timeliness. That one works really well. So just like slapping the current year at the end of your title is like one of the best ways to mm, get people to click. Smart. That is most effective starting in like as early as like November to like November, December. It's like super effective in January. Like if you're, I don't know when this is going to come out, but if you're planning your content, like have all of your tutorials and like have all of them in January and use in 2023 in every single one. And like, just really pile on the, in 2023, just use that strategy as much as you can in the early part of the year, because every single month it's just going to get worse. Like, you know, it's, if it's like August, if you publish a video that says in 2022, it's like, okay, like 2022 is old news, right? It's August. It's, it's been 2022 for eight months, but like, you know, towards the end of the year, okay. Now people are starting to think about, Ooh, 2023, it's going to be like a, you know, you're kind of like trend jacking, um, you know, news jacking, trend surfing, whatever you want to call it, but it's going to be on everybody's mind. So, and also people like clicking on numbers. So it's just like a, it's a great thing to do for ranking in search. You can also, um, include an objection. You might be like, uh, how to get, uh, uh-huh. how to get stronger without lifting weights. Yeah. Right. Like someone's like, oh man, I don't want to, I don't want to lift weights, but I do want to get stronger. Um, cool. I'll do that. Or like, you know, how, how to, to get hot without stopping your ice cream habit. Yes. They're like how to get a six pack <laughs> without counting calories. Like, boom. <laughs> oh, that was so great. I want to hear if there's anything on your mind that you have a hunch about and you're starting to research, but you don't have enough data to back it up. I want some, some spicy, give me some spicy takes as to something you believe, but you'd ha- you don't have any data to back it up yet. Oh, so we talked about one earlier is I think that people should not use the word and in, uh, in titles. So did you see, I think it was like the writers of South Park said like the like easiest secret to write a good story is to like just use the word but. No. We found out this really simple rule that maybe you guys have all heard before, but it took us a long time to learn it. But we can take these beats, which are basically the beats of your outline. And if the words and then belong between those beats, you're f***ed, basically. You got, you got something pretty boring. What should happen between every beat that you've written down is either the word therefore or but, right? So, so what I'm saying is that you come up with an idea and it's like, okay, this happens, right? And then this happens. No, 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 it should be this happens and therefore this happens. But this happens, therefore this happens. Because uh, there's like some conflict. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think and kind of like uh, dilutes a story, at least in a title, like when you use the word and you're saying, oh, cool, this is about more topics than one. So yeah. that that is what I think. I don't know if that's true or not, but, uh, but yeah, I think like the more 
think, you know, don't use the word and just make everything about one single subject. Another thing we could talk about is like the art versus the science of a thumbnail or of a title. The science is like, just like modeling, right? So we can talk about, okay, cool. I'm starting a new, new channel. I'm going to be in uh, fitness. And I know that like everybody wants to, um, you know, how to, how to get a six pack without counting calories. Like, boom, that's, it's kind of science, right? It's like, it's proven. Everybody makes a video or like five best chest exercises or something. So science is just like modeling, but then you have like the art of writing a good title. And that is uh, something that I'm like personally working on like really hard. But I think that comes to one, like being clever and two, knowing your audience. So one example of like the art of writing a good title is uh, Leon Hendricks's title, uh, How This Dumb Product Made a Million Dollars. So, yeah, so there's contrast between like dumb product, a million dollars, and that's art, right? Like, like, boom, like he just, that's very well worded. You're using contrast and contrast builds a lot of curiosity, but it's so much harder to teach the art rather yeah. than the science. I think I've kind of like studied uh, the, the, the science of writing titles really well, but uh, I think there are a lot of people that just have like a natural like talent for the art of writing titles much better than me. Um, so I'm trying to step up my game there, but you know, that is just something to, uh, something to kind of like, you know, think about. And like, you know, if you're looking to like write a title or hire someone to write titles, like, you know, just thinking about the art of it. And also the art is like knowing your audience too. So you could say how to make money online, or you could say how to make $10,000 a month online. That's speaking to like your audience's deepest desire. And, um, you know, cause a lot of people like beginners, like that's like the magic number is $10,000 a month. If you can, uh, word your audience's deepest desires, like better than they can, then like they're way more likely to click. So yeah, just like the art, the art and the science is, uh, two, two interesting things, um, that need to kind of play around with. And then there's also, you know, we talked about topic. Uh, so they like the idea there's the title, there's the thumbnail, but there's also the creator, Many people are getting this wrong as like people aren't answering the question of why should I listen to you? And I got this from Alex Ramosi. If you can prove that you know what you're doing by like telling your stories or your experience, then you are going to have way more success than somebody who is just kind of like uh, just sharing what they read. And Secondhand. like, yes, exactly. I don't know like what it is about that, but like people can just kind of feel it. Right. You can just if you're listening to someone or reading someone's or like you know watching them, they just feel that like, you know what you're talking about. You've done that. You've been there versus like, oh, you got like really nice video and like it looks cool and like your editing is great, but it's just kind of like repeated, like stale content. So I think that so many people are messing that up. Like they're they're not they're not giving their audience a great reason to listen to them. They're not proving to them that they have been in the trenches and they've accomplished what your audience is trying to accomplish. I think that's one thing that's holding a ton of people back. I absolutely love diving into data like this and hearing from people who really do the research. So if you want to learn more about Jake, subscribe to his newsletter at creatorhooks.com or follow him on Twitter. 
Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks to Jake for being on the show. Thank you to Connor Conaboy for editing this episode and Nathan Tonhunter for mixing our audio. Thanks to Brian Skeel for creating our music and Emily Klaus for creating our artwork. If you like this episode, tweet at me at jklaus. Let me know or leave a comment here on this video. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.